Today on Ag News, face a lot of unique issues here in San Diego County. We have a large rural area located next to a very highly densely populated urban area. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Friday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Mike, did you end up having any trick-or-treaters last night? You know, I did. We were we were trick or treat less, which actually worked out really well since I forgot to buy candy. So oh. it was a it was a sad day for me because I did not get to eat oodles of of Halloween candy that I didn't give away. You could just um, well, what movie or show is it where they give away like a stapler and a roll of tape and a can of food? I don't know, but that would have been me last night had we had <laughs> trick or treaters. Oh, man, I can't think of what it is, but there's it definitely... It would have been like, yeah, here's a yogurt. <laughs> and they would have been looking at you like, no thanks, old man. <laughs> and I said, fine, give me back my yogurt, Junior. That's <laughs> breakfast tomorrow. I'm a All baller right. on a budget. Well, no trick-or-treaters. How about you? Trick-or-treaters there in your uh, apartment complex? Well, they do it on Wednesday night, the night before Halloween, so it's called Beggar's Night, and I wasn't here Wednesday night, so I didn't get any trick-or-treaters. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, hopefully our listeners got some trick-or-treaters. Hopefully our listeners were able to bring some joy into the lives of children out there dressing up despite the, across much of the upper Midwest, brutally cold temperatures. Brutally cold is right, and I think we're expected to continue with that trend. Yeah, uh, I was just looking at the forecast. In fact, it looks like the next 10 to 14 days are going to be well below average. And unfortunately, I had a conversation with Greg Solier, the uh, meteorologist on This Week in Agribusiness yesterday. And even though it's going to be brutally cold, it's not going to quite be cold enough to put a good hard freeze in the ground so growers can actually get out there and get some corn and soybeans harvested. So it's just frustrating all the way around for everybody. I think, though, for the most part, we're supposed to have some clear skies. Yes, clear skies will certainly be welcomed, but clear skies and 33 degrees doesn't exactly dry things down very much. No, you're right that it doesn't. But better than rain and much better than, uh, than snow, sleet, and hail. Absolutely. Got to take the blessings where we can get them, Delaney. That we can, Mike. And uh, we've seen a storm come across agriculture since the trade war with China. I have a little update here. According to, uh, doesn't say what head of the government said this from China, but apparently Beijing is considering removing extra tariff imposed on U.S. farm products as a way to ease up the possibility of buying $50 billion worth of products rather than buying that direct amount in agricultural products. Interesting. So that's their compromise. They'll say we might well, not buy as much outright, but we'll drop tariffs and let our folks make decisions based on market uh, circumstances. I mean, that's the newest speculation that I'm seeing today, but it's like, how do you really know until you see it happen? Right. It's easy to say we'll drop tariffs, and uh, yeah, the, we've been we've been lied to before, Delaney Howe. Yes, just a time or two. Yes, indeed. And I also have an update on the China-U.S. trade talks. We had uh, U.S. Trade Rep. Robert Lighthizer and Steve Mnuchin from the Treasury Secretary said that they have made progress on a variety of issues during a phone call earlier today with China's Vice Premier Liu He. Um, he said, quote, 
They made progress in a variety of areas and are in the process of resolving outstanding issues. Discussions will continue at the deputy level, which is probably where these things need to be right now. They'll let the deputies hash out the details, get the bigwigs in a room sometime mid-November to actually ink the deal. So that sounds, that sounds promising. Well, it sounds promising, but I'm not going to hold my breath, like I said. Oh, no, I think, I think you would die if you held your breath waiting for this deal. <laughs> mm, I think I would. But, uh, I, yeah, sorry, go ahead. go ahead. Well, I was going to say, just this kind of ties right into it. In addition to us making good news, or good progress, I should say, on that particular trade deal, we also had a report from the World Trade Organization that China is entitled to slap, slap compensatory tariffs on U.S. imports worth roughly $3.6 billion annually for the U.S. failure to remove anti-dumping duties. So China was out there. They really wanted to put tariffs on $7 billion worth of U.S. products to counteract what they considered manipulation by the U.S. Um, WTO said, no, you're not going to get your seven, but here's three and a half. Go ahead, throw those tariffs on there. And, uh, you know, that's going to make a lot of our products more uh, costly as they are headed towards mainland China. Hmm. Well, that's not good news, is it? Uh, no, it's not. However, we did get a response from the U.S. And the response was, as one would imagine, disappointment. Um, officials from the United States said that the uh, decision by the WTO earlier today to award China the ability to add $3.6 billion worth of tariffs is a disappointment Quote, and it overstates the amount of impact on China. Uh, basically, he says, uh, the city of Washington believes the WTO's approach had, quote, no foundation in economic analysis. So even though we're making progress on one part, it sounds as though we are definitely backsliding in another. All right. Well, to piggyback off of that as well, we continue to look at what the Fed is doing, and they've lowered interest rates again by 0.25%. And going off of that, we've saw GDP growth in September continue its slowdown. However, not as bad as economists were anticipating. We saw the growth slow down to about 1.9%, which economists were expecting only an annualized growth rate of about 1.6%. So we're still ahead of where they expected, but overall they say the economy is slowing down. However, to put that in, pers in perspective, that 0.3% that they were expecting was equivalent to about $14.3 billion in growth. So they say a slowdown, but it's still like those are huge numbers. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Big numbers, that's for sure. But yeah, still a slowdown. And, you know, again, we've got economic uncertainty with these tariffs and these trade battles in place. And that could be helping some people keep the little money in their pocket could be helping businesses reduce some of their expenditures and planned growth and you know these things definitely have unintended consequences that can have uh, ramifications for quite some time to come absolutely
Um, I've just got something interesting. Uh, Delaney, as you well know, and I think as a lot of our listeners well know, I love to follow the cattle markets. I think they're fascinating the way they operate, that intermingling between the cow-calf producer, the background, or the feedlot, and finally the packer is, uh, is one of those things that I just I, I watch every day. And our good friend, past uh, guest on the podcast, Kathy Fish, author at The Beef Read, had some interesting thoughts. She says that negotiated cash cattle trade so far is higher at 113 to 115 basically we're looking at $5 higher cash cattle prices than just a week ago. This is being supported by strength in the box beef markets, and here was the stat that jumped out at me. Let me pull it up here. Box beef prices earlier today, the choice box printed at $232 this morning. That is the highest for any November 1st in history except for 2014, where we were going through that generational rally in the cattle markets when choice boxes printed at 250. This, the increase in box values, has allowed packers to increase their margins. It is now anticipated they are making $300 per head on every beef animal slaughtered. Still, plenty of economic incentive for them to get out there, buy as many cattle as they can, and work them through the line. All right. You said that was on choice box beef prices? That was on what? On choice prices? Yeah, choice box beef. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Get out there and eat some steak. Absolutely. And, you know, I think if this rally is any indication, get out there. And if you're looking at buying steak for the holiday season, uh, you know, Thanksgiving is coming up. And I, you know, my birthday is on Saturday. If you want to shoot me a ribeye, <laughs> I'm here for it. But get that meat bought soon because domestic demand continues to be the key driver. We are definitely seeing U.S. consumers get out there and spend these high-dollar prices at grocery stores for, again, high-quality meat that's grown uh, grown right here in the uh, good old U.S. of A. or Canada or Mexico, because, of course, we are all tied together in our trading systems. Yes, and uh, going off of the trading system that we see between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada, we saw Mexico's top um, North American negotiator, Jesus Seed or Siete, however you pronounce it, he said he's optimistic after recent meetings with the White House and lawmakers that an agreement can be reached on USMCA before Thanksgiving. He apparently met with both House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer separately. And he said, she gave me, speaking on Pelosi, he said, she gave me a positive message. We hope to see this come to a conclusion soon. Wow. So that week before Thanksgiving, or the two weeks before Thanksgiving, there is the possibility that we might see phase one of U.S.-China yes. Trade Deal Inc. Also, now it sounds like the possibility we might see USMCA get passed through the U.S. Congress. That would be a huge two weeks for uh, the ag industry and might be enough to bring in some of those bulls back towards the commodity business. Absolutely. Ag commodities, I should say. Absolutely, Mike. It's a lot. It's, I think it's a tall order to fill with both of those two kind of getting done around the same time frame, but we got to keep chugging along, I suppose. Keep chugging along and stay positive. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I was going to have a, I had a quote in my head about being positive, and now I've lost it. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Yeah, I Another need some more time. coffee, Delaney. That's the story there. <laughs> oh. Well, do you have any other news, Mike? Because I just have one other story that's kind of fun that I wanted to share. 
Well, uh, let me drop this on us because I think it's interesting. Earlier this week, it was announced by Bayer that the number of uh, lawsuits being filed against glyphosate has doubled in the past two months. They've climbed from about 20 to 26,000. Now they're at 42,000 potential claimants alleging that glyphosate has caused them cancer, specifically non-Hodgkin's Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, That came out, I believe, on Wednesday. Today, Bayer came out and said, look, despite all of the allegations against us, we continue to see strong sales. In fact, Chief Executive Warner Bauman told journalists in a conference call today that there is, quote, extremely strong support among farmers who are imploring us to keep this crop chemical, which is systemically relevant for the preparation of fields, on the market. So, I I don't think glyphosate's going anywhere anytime soon. It doesn't sound like that is the case. So what's your good news, Delaney? How are we going to wrap up our Friday show before we get to our interview, which is a fun one? We're heading down to sunny San Diego County to talk about the agriculture in the Southwest. But drop it on us. What do you got for us, Delaney? Well, I just thought this was really interesting as we look at a lot of fast food chains now have rolled out plant-based burgers or plant-based substances in the case of KFC doing their meatless fried chicken. So we've and seen that's, that's incognito, right? Is that the KFC product or is that the, um, Hmm. I'm not positive. I, I don't uh, There's so many different brand names circulating. Yes. I can't keep them all straight, but incognito is probably my favorite <laughs> from a marketing perspective. That's, that is true. I agree. But uh, McDonald's is testing the waters However, they decided not to test it in the U.S. because they don't think it's going to be a big enough market. So instead, they tested the PLT, plant lettuce tomato burger, I guess, instead of like a BLT. Gross. Just call it a plant sandwich because plant <laughs> lettuce and tomato are all plants, Mickey D's. Don't try to confuse us. So Just say you're serving a salad on bread. So they tried it out in... A couple of different McDonald's chains across, I believe it was Ontario, Canada, 28 locations across Ontario, the new plant-based burger, and they said they got, you know, okay results, but they are not confident that it would be a good enough market to bring it to the U.S., so they said at this point they're probably just going to put it on hold because McDonald's, I mean, you think about fast food chains, McDonald's is probably one of the leaders since it's one of the oldest, and a lot of people look at them and what they're doing They're saying they're not going to bring it to the U.S. anytime soon. You know, I think that makes a lot of sense. It was not even a year ago that McDonald's made a well-publicized push to serving fresh beef cooked in the restaurant as opposed to frozen patties shipped in. Mm -hmm. And why would you want to undercut the message that fresh is better when it comes to meat by serving some gross salad on some bread? I don't know. I don't have an answer. So good for them. Yes. That's all I've got, Good though. for the American cattle industry. Absolutely. Well, speaking of cattle, we did have a rally in today's markets, Delaney, but what do you say? Should we look at the rest of the uh, global egg commodities uh, bucket? Let's do it. All right, folks, and we've got weakness today in the corn market, strength in beans and wheat. We've got a little bit of strength in the livestock industry, and we've got strength in dairy yet again. So in the corn market, December corn was down three-quarters of a penny at 389 and a quarter. The March contract down a quarter to close at 398 and a half. Soybeans rally on the day. November contract up seven and a half cents to close at 924 and a quarter. January up four and a half, closed at 936 and three quarters. 
December wheat finished Chicago contract up seven and a quarter cents at five sixteen even. The March up seven finished at five twenty one and three quarters. Jumping over to the world of livestock, December live cattle up a screaming two dollars and thirty cents on the day, finished at one nineteen fifty two fifty. February up a dollar eighty seven and a half, closed at one twenty four twenty two and a half. And in lean hogs, really one of the only markets we saw consistent weakness today. The December lean hog contract was off a dollar fifty five, closed at sixty four forty five. February down seventy five cents, finished at seventy two fifty seven fifty. And as I mentioned earlier in the day, we were seeing some strength in the dairy market. Did it carry through to the close? Yes, it did. November class three milk up a nickel on the day at twenty sixteen. December up 19 cents, pushing closer to that $20 level, finished the week at 19.66. Without further ado, Delaney, let's kick it over to our conversation about agriculture and agricultural challenges down in San Diego County. Well, folks, today we are excited. We are going to be exploring a different type of agriculture than perhaps a lot of our listeners are used to. We are heading all the way down to the far southwest corner of the country to San Diego County. We're talking to Hannah Bay, the executive director of the San Diego County Farm Bureau. And Hannah, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. My pleasure. Always delighted to talk about San Diego agriculture. You know, before we get too far into it, why don't you give us a rundown? What is San Diego County most known for when it comes to agriculture? Where do you guys really stand out? San Diego County, our top 10 crops, our number one is ornamental trees and shrubs. Our number two is indoor flowering and foliage plants, followed by bedding plants. So you'll see that the highest ranking crops here are ornamental and cut flowers. We're followed by avocados and then cactus succulents, lemons, tomatoes, oranges. San Diego County, our direct economic uh, contribution to our economy with agriculture is $1.7 billion annually. And we are a very large county. The size of San Diego County is the same as the size of the state of Connecticut. And we face a lot of unique issues here in San Diego County. We have a large rural area located next to a very highly densely populated urban area. The city of San Diego is the eighth largest uh, city in the nation. And so our farmers face a lot of unique challenges, the high cost of land, the high cost of water. California certainly struggles with over-regulation. And so we have adapted by growing very high-value crops on smaller parcels of land. Um, 68% of the farms in the county of San Diego are one to nine acres in size. So oh, wow. Suddenly have, yeah, we have adapted to doing more on less. And so for a, a farmer who's producing on, let's say, nine acres of, of uh, uh, ornamental crops, is that a lot of your, your farmers in the county are working full-time or part-time jobs as well as farming? Uh, From my understanding, the statistics show a good deal of our farmers do make significant income from off-farm work. And certainly it has to do with the cost of living down here in the county of San Diego. We are the second most expensive place to live in the nation. We pay what is jokingly referred to as the sunshine tax. Certainly, San Diego is considered a paradise 
it is America's finest city, our slogan for the city of San Diego, and it is beautiful. We've got 56, uh, 56 different microclimates within our county, and there is a lot of versatility in terms of what you can be grown. We, grown, we grow over 400 different varieties of crops here in the county, and so really everybody is looking for their niche crops, um, the highest value crops, but certainly there is a significant number of our farmers who do gain income from off-farm, whether it's crop advisors or being involved in the agricultural industry in different ways. Some of our farmers own grocery stores in the city where they sell oh. their products. Yeah, so we really have become innovative down here trying to adapt to the different conditions that we face. You know, one of the things I was doing a little research because I haven't been to San Diego in years and I love it out there. It is definitely on my list of places to uh, to move to and become another one of the three million people living out there because it is a gorgeous, gorgeous area. But I, I was surprised to learn that San Diego County is uh, really one of the largest egg producing counties in the U.S. Is is egg production? I mean, is that something you notice when you're traveling around in rural areas? Yeah, we have 2 million chickens here in San Diego County. So certainly it is. It's a large contributor to our agricultural community. And what's really interesting is, you know, our farmers and our farming families who have had multi-generational operations, they're really facing this challenge of being located next to dense urban areas. And so some of our oldest, most productive chicken farms are really facing some struggles with the right to farm because they're having large um, developments pop up literally 50 feet from their fence line. And oh my we all know that producing chickens is not necessarily the best smelling operation, but we all love, you know, chicken products. And when you put high density residential housing next to our agricultural operations, it really is challenging for them to stay uh, viable because number one, developers are interested in converting their operation. And number two, they get continual complaints from their neighbors who, although maybe when they purchased that home, had to sign that right to farm, you know, notice that this operation exists. They don't. They don't care. Those residential, you know, um, people because they just don't want to smell that operation. So that is happening to chicken farms all across our county. We're very thankful for the California Right to Farm Act. We're very grateful that the County of San Diego, our local board of supervisors, is very ag friendly. California, in general, I would say, is perceived as not farmer-friendly state by government, uh, San Diego County. We are very fortunate to have a local government that has written into many of their local policies and ordinances, the general plan, ways to make sure we can promote and grow our farming community with the stressors of urban development encroaching on those, you know, operations such as livestock. We are also facing really unique issues here with our animal producers that have to do with animal rights activists. Um, a group called Direct Action Everywhere. From my understanding, in Australia, they're burning dairies in California. Oh, wow. Yeah, their, their goal is not to have any animals, even as pets, 
they equivalent, you know, they equate animals to equal to humans. And so they don't want any animal to be used in livestock production and they will stop at nothing to reach that goal. Here in California recently, they took two buses to a duck farm full of activists and the activists got off the bus and their intention was to storm the farm and everybody grab a duck, get back on the farm to liberate the animals. I don't think oh my gosh. through their plan. And so down here in San Diego, it's directly affected us. We only have two dairies left in our county because there's all sorts of different issues that they're facing, primarily the overregulation of the air quality and climate change, which we can talk about a little bit later. But they have come on and trespassed onto our, our local dairies. And these are the model of sustainable dairies. They are giving amazing conditions to their cows and on top of that they're taking in food waste from all over the county spent grain that they feed their animals and they're keeping it out of the landfill they're winning grants for color crops and innovation um and these activists they don't care they don't want animals to be you know in their words exploited for food because they are vegan and in their mind they want everybody to be vegan and so you know, we have our, our livestock producers who the FBI is now investigating this group because they're online and they're fundraising for uh, drones and tactical backpacks and night vision cameras. They've gone to our fishermen's market. We have a really great fishing industry in San Diego where we have an urban fishermen's market. And it comes right from the boat to the dock and it's a huge tourist, you know, destination. And really it is great to connect individuals to their local food supply and what is happening is they are protesting them and they are throwing this what happened is they they took a tray of sea urchin and they threw it back into the ocean oh wow and so most recently this group of activists have chained themselves to city hall san diego city hall and they're they're pressing a right to rescue they want the city to press a right to rescue which essentially in, would ensure that any activist that goes onto a farm and steals a farm animal would have absolutely no legal ramifications. They would have no punishment because this is good for the animal. So these are the challenges we face in San Diego County being located next to a very dense urban population, being located in what's historically, I think, nationwide perceived as you know, extremely environmentally focused, uh, the state of California. Unfortunately, this group is so misguided that they don't understand when you pressure your local food system, who is, you know, the model of environmental sustainability, you end up, you're not changing your demand, and we end up importing these products from much further locations, and that's increasing your environmental impact. So they're quite misguided. It's kind of a unique issue we're facing down here. And it's really unfortunate because it costs our, our livestock producers a lot of money to upgrade their security, upgrade their fencing. And it puts us in a very difficult situation because there's really no other industry in the world where you could just expect a robber to come onto your farm or business, steal your inventory, and walk away in the business owner is expected to not do anything. We cannot retaliate. You know, we're always advised, just sit back and let them do it. Call the police, 
We're located in rural areas. The, the response time for the police is slow. And certainly in, when you're located next to a dense urban population, there are other more important, more violent crimes, so to speak, that take that priority. And so we're just directed to sit back and let this happen. And so the Farm Bureau has stepped in and we are trying to really up our advocacy encounter this anti-agricultural rhetoric that is coming out of the heart of these urban areas by non-farmers who think that they know how to farm and they think they know how to do it better than a farming community. Farming community here in San Diego, we are the fifth largest contributor to our local economy. This is very important. I think we can all agree promoting ag is important to the national food security issue. And so it's, it's a real struggle down here because all we want to do is be in the field <laughs> working with our animals, growing our crops, and here we are having to, you know, make the rounds to all of our city council people trying to tell them that this organization should not be heard. So as your growers are facing these pressures, of course, they can be politically active, and it sounds like they certainly are being politically active, but you mentioned the, uh, the number of dairies is declining. Are you finding these growers are simply choosing to, to pack up and, and move farther away, get farther away from the urban areas? It's a combination of factors. In California, I like to say it takes a permit to breathe in this state. Mm-hmm. There are layers and layers and layers of permitting regulations, paperwork that we have to comply with. And it has gone into the point that many of our agricultural producers feel that they need to move out of state because of that. And again, the cost of land here is a contributing factor. The, the development, you know, if you own a hundred acres of coastal San Diego property and you grow strawberries on it, it seems appealing. I could imagine that if a developer approaches you and wants to, you know, pay significant amounts of money for your land to turn it and convert it into residential development, why would you not? If you're sitting here and as a farming community as a whole here in San Diego, we are all suffering from the high cost of water. We are all suffering from a labor shortage. We are all suffering with this regulatory environment that is extremely challenging. The livestock producers have a few more added issues, you know, in terms of these animal rights activists, in terms of there's a lot of rhetoric coming out of the environmental science community that agriculture is causing all the greenhouse gas emissions, the cows are farting, and this is ruining the environment. That's not what the data shows. Not here in San Diego County. Our climate action plan in our climate action inventory, so agriculture contributes 5%. That is not significant to the total greenhouse gas emissions in our county, but there's a lot of rhetoric coming out of the urban areas that has the ear of the policymakers, and it is a challenge. And so we're trying to, like I mentioned before, as the Farm Bureau and as the agricultural community as a whole, you know, they're saying the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And for a long time in San Diego County, it feels like that squeaky wheel has been this, you know, um, alternative anti-agricultural side. And so we're trying to bring it back because it's very important to us that agriculture can become a viable career path again for our youth. What we're seeing is third generation family farmers, second generation family farmers. 
They're ready to retire. Their children are not interested in taking over their operation because they see how hard their parents are working. And they see they're not making that much money. And they see the regulations they have to deal with in the other issues. And they would just rather go into be a lawyer, get into the IT industry, do something else. And then we have new farmers who are interested in starting an operation and the barriers are so steep, the cost of land, those regulations, that labor shortage. We see time and time again, young farmers who want to put up $100,000 to start their operation and they lose it all within two years because they're not understanding how complex it is to try to make a viable farm operation in our county of San Diego, which is then why you see some of, you know, a good deal of our farmers gaining income from off-farm sources. Absolutely. You know, it's it's interesting. The challenges are more acute in San Diego County, but we're seeing those same pressures across rural America. Hannah, before we let you go, can you tell us how can our listeners learn more about what it is that you all do with San Diego in uh, in the world of agriculture? Sure. Well, the Farm Bureau system, in my opinion, is a vital resource for the entire agricultural community across the nation. And so certainly, if you are not part of your local Farm Bureau, I would highly encourage you to do so. There should be one in every county in the nation. We're led by our state Farm Bureaus and then connected to our American Farm Bureau. And so, quite frankly, the best thing that you could do to be connected to all these agricultural issues, because you are 100% correct, we all share them, we face the same issues. What's very interesting, we have publications from the Farm Bureau, because we're 100 years old, from 50, 75 years ago, and those farmers faced the same issues back then as well. And so connecting with your common group of agricultural community members. We share these struggles. We can rely on each other. We can combine forces so that when we face a challenge, there are strengths in numbers, particularly regulatory challenges where advocacy it makes an impact. If more than one person is making a phone call, more than one person is sending a letter, the Farm Bureau becoming a member is hands down the most important thing that I think you can do. Now, if you're really interested in learning more about San Diego agriculture, you would just want to hop on maybe our County of San Diego Department of Agriculture website, and that we issue crop reports, annual crop reports here, mandated by state law, and every year that gives you a snapshot of what is San Diego agriculture. It tells you the number one crop, tells you our number one staff, very informative read. San Diego County Farm Bureau, just Google San Diego County Farm Bureau. We have a great website that kind of highlights all sorts of the different aspects of agriculture here in San Diego. I would encourage anybody who's part of a trade organization or an agricultural organization to please consider hosting, you know, your conference or your membership meeting here in San Diego, because quite frankly, San Diego is a very beautiful place to visit. And if you are ever going to do that, people love to fly across the nation to come here. And as our Farm Bureau, we are happy to, you know, be an ally and a friend there and help steer you if you wanted to, you know, think about some tours, get in touch with some local growers. We're here to assist. We really, you know, value agriculture across the nation. And we would just thank, you know, all farmers for all that we do every day in and out to feed the world and to benefit our environment. 
Fantastic. Hannah Bay, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us and for filling us in on, on what all is going on down there in San Diego County. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, big thanks there for uh, for Hannah taking the time to chat with us. Really enjoyed that conversation. Delaney, you know, it's interesting. The challenges that we face in the Midwest are, at times, very different than the challenges they're facing down in the Southwest. Oh, absolutely different challenges. I mean, I think a lot of those folks deal with a lot more labor issues than we we deal with as well, and weather, different issues there. So, yeah, just interesting to hear some different perspective. Faux shizzle, Delaney. That's what we say on the street. That's, um, yeah, that's not a thing. I am so gangsta. You, I I can't even. Thug life. Okay, great. All right, all right. Well, Delaney, I tell you what, if our listeners want to get caught up on past episodes where I am a little less gangstery, they can do it by going to our website at agnewsdaily.com. While you're there, check out all of the other podcasts hosted by the Global Ag Network, some fantastic uh, things being done by some fantastic people in the ag industry. They can also interact with us on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by just searching for Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.